Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Princing, episode 570. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 850 florists, shops, and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Farm Grow Flowers. Farm Grow Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S., supporting U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $10 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgrowflowers.com. And thank you to the Gardener's Workshop, which offers a full curriculum of online education for flower farmers and farmer florists. Online education is more important than ever, and you'll want to check out the course offerings at thegardenersworkshop.com. My guest today is Colorado-based flower farmer and educator Brianna Bosch. We recently met in person when Brianna attended the Slow Flowers Summit in June, and I've been wanting to host her on the show, so we finally got this conversation on the calendar to share with you. Just a little bit of background. Armed with an MBA from the University of California, Brianna established Blossom and Branch in 2019. As she writes on the Blossom and Branch website, Cubicle life has just never been a fit for me. Farming runs in my blood. I am a fifth-generation farmer, but I myself never thought I would get a chance to start up my own farm. We got lucky when we found 1.7 acres in the suburbs of Denver and moved to the farm in 2018. The name Blossom and Branch refers to the unique site, which is half-field, home to field-grown flowers, such as annuals, roses, and peonies, and half woods, where Brianna and her family focus on providing a habitat for wildlife and pollinators through native plants, such as choke cherries, American plum, currants, and service berries. Let's jump right in and meet Brianna and learn about her farm, her focus on regenerative farming processes and carbon sequestration, and about how she shares her flowers with her community of flower lovers and wedding clients. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome. Hello again. My guest today is Colorado-based flower farmer and educator, Brianna Bosch of Blossom and Branch. Hi, Brianna. Hello, Deborah. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm so glad to see you in your environment. And um, <laughs> we, we re- recently finally met in person uh, when you attended the Slow Flowers Summit, which was last month. And I've, I've been wanting to host you on the show for a while. So, we finally got this calendar on the calendar to uh, to I don't know do a show and tell and talk about your business. Um, so thank you so much for saying yes. I know you've had some challenges <laughs> right now. Give us um, put put us on, put yourself on the map so people can um, picture where you are right now. Yeah, so we are in Colorado. Um, we are 
about 15 minutes outside of Denver. So we're just west of Denver. So like halfway between Denver and uh, just getting to the foothills. So close to the mountains, close to the city. So it's a great like close to everything. Um, Kind of an urban farm. We have just under two acres. And uh, we've been here for four years. So this is our, our fourth growing season now that we're in. Um, so we've just been kind of learning and, and figuring things out <laughs> along the way. That's amazing. Well, I, I sort of was, I was trying to figure out how to describe your farm and you have so much information on your website, but I sort of see that you're covering, um, you're growing flowers, but you're also focusing on regenerative farming and replenishing the land to create a wildlife habitat. So um, of that, about 1.7 acres, um, I love the idea that Blossom and Branch has a meaning uh, in terms of the, the farm name. So it relates to how your land is oriented or or basically what's on your land, right? It, it does. Yeah. Um, so we're kind of unique. When we, when we bought this property, it was actually, it was two acres of totally overrun with weeds mostly. Um, so we, we would have been like a different name when we started, but now we are one acre that's dedicated to production um, of cut flowers and half an acre that's a dedicated wildlife habitat. Um, so it's a wooded area and we do occasionally harvest some things from there, but more and more we're just kind of letting it be wild because that's we're finding how much that helps us with pest management, um, having birds around, just letting that area kind of be their area has been really cool. Um, and so that's kind of our goal. I mean, my I just tell people I laugh because I grow flowers basically so that I can afford to garden. Yeah, that makes sense. But gardening, you know, can be a little costly habit. And, um, eventually my goal would be to have, uh, this is kind of our main field behind me here. Okay, I would be to have this out. just wild, um, and kind of like a prairie and a meadow and all native plants. Uh, but selling in, uh, flowers is kind of how we're getting there right now. So, well, um, so give us a snapshot of your main, um, business model. Are you, um, I, I know you have a unique Saturday farm, like your own little farmer's market. You make people come yeah. to you, right? I do. <laughs> I tell people that happened because I'm kind of lazy. And I, <laughs> I mean, I'm a farmer, so I'm not lazy, but you know what I mean? Like I, I hate packing things into my car. Someone's saying hello. Oh, who um, you there? <laughs> these are, well, they're in between names right now. Our, our toddlers named our sheep. Come here. Um, our toddlers named the sheep and they're boys sheep and they named them Rosabelle and midnight and uh the names are they're not really sticking so we might we might rename them but we just got them a couple weeks ago so they're kind of still getting used to us come here this is midnight obviously because he's black oh but, my gosh uh, aren't they yeah. cute and then this are is they our, kind of free see. are they kind of are they kind of free range then or do you do you bring them in at night yeah so they have a pen they're in at night um but they right now they're just kind of meandering and they're helping us eat a lot of storm damage leaves right now. We had a, another major storm last night that took down some big branches. So they love to eat the leaves. And they're really key to kind of our regenerative uh, practice this year. We're really incorporating the animals um, a little bit more. And so they're going to be helping us manage the cover crop and helping us manage the prairie and keeping things kind of eaten down. Uh, we have some invasive grasses that they're really helping us out with. So wow. that's the idea with the sheep. But yeah, right. During the day, they just kind of roam around and I try to keep them out of the flowers. <laughs> they're right, learning exactly. slowly. 
That's amazing. Well, okay. So back to sorry, your but yes, <laughs> sell, your selling model. One of you're not lazy, but you it, leaving the farm. There's a price to leaving the farm. I'm sure. Ex- exactly, and it's. Uh, I have one. I have one gal that helps me part time. Um, she's a teacher, so during the school year, she's working, and then I kind of get her from end of May through uh, mid-August this year. And so Mm -hmm. she helps me. But really, other than that, it's just me. And I have two toddlers. Yeah, And so it is. It's leaving the farm is a big deal, getting everything packed up the night before. Um, And then, you know, there's a cost to farmers markets. And we are also very saturated here in Colorado with flower farmers. And so uh, there's a lot of competition at the farmers market. There's we don't have rules. Most of our markets, you can sell things that you've maybe purchased. And so it's mm-hmm. not always grown yeah. here. Um, you know, we can right. have some of those issues. And so uh, for me, I wanted to differentiate us by saying, hey, you know, you can actually come and see where these flowers are being grown and you can right. see your farmer right. and talk to your farmer. And really, I think that that connection is so important um, with consumers and their farmers and really knowing them. And that way they know their practices and they they can really trust them. I think that's huge. And so that's why I like having people here because I can say like, everything's grown right here. We're not buying this stuff and reselling it at the farmer's market. Um, you know, and we're not having to play the pricing game as much. I mean, we still have mm-hmm. to be mindful of pricing, but we're not having to, uh, you know, deal with it. There's another vendor down three rows down that's maybe selling bouquets for much cheaper than we are. And so, you know, there's all of that we don't sure. really have to deal with. So it's been great. We've really developed a, a community that um, rallies around us and they are very supportive when we have crop issues or cooler failures or <laughs> any of those things. And they'll always rally and, um, and show up, which has been really nice. So how is it set up? It's um, a certain number of hours. And then do people, uh, can they buy design bouquets as well as um, straight bunches? Or do you have a U-Pick program? We, it kind of depends on the week. Um, I, I'm not consistent. And I, <laughs> I mean, we're consistent in that we have, a, we have it every week. And we, it's really yeah. a farm stand. <laughs> so we have, we have a stand out front and we're standing there and we're talking to people. Um, and usually it's design bouquets. It's all pre-made because we just found in our oh. market, people like that better. Um, right. We, we will occasionally do straight bunches. So a couple of weeks ago, we had a cooler failure. We had to just get like everything out of the cooler and we didn't really have time to arrange it. So we just put straight bunches out on the stand and people did buy them. But usually they want a, a bouquet. And so we usually do that. Um, occasionally we do you picks. I, it's not a cornerstone of what we do just because, you know, when you're doing you picks, there's certain ways that you have to pick things to keep them producing. And, um, it's, you know, a, a you pick can be kind of destructive to the field. <laughs> so we do oh, them occasionally if I can't keep up. That, that makes sense. Especially since you're really trying to rebuild your, your soil health you probably don't want a right. lot of people wandering around the field. Um, yeah, and, how, and the woods and, yeah, the disruption mm-hmm. of the birds and all that stuff, yeah. I will just say, though, hearing that you're so close to Denver, it seems like it's a real easy yes for people to just take make this a Saturday morning outing, uh, maybe while they're going to get breakfast afterwards or something like that. Right, yeah, and that's, you know, kind of our, when I talk to other farmers, we used to do a marketing class. I did it last year just for fun, but, but for other flower farmers, and, you know, I always tell people, like, think about your location really does dictate largely 
who your market is going to be because, you know, if you're someone who's a little bit more rural and it's a bit more of a trip, that's going to impact who your customer is and what kind of offerings they're going to want from you versus if you're close to the city and it's a quick, convenient trip, you know, so thinking about those things is always, I think, wise as a farmer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then what are your other bit pieces of the pie that, in terms of sales channels? I know you're, you're doing workshops, uh, private classes, um, coaching, yeah. but some of those are, are maybe um, a la carte. Yes, I'm, I'm going to, I'll walk you back so you can see our, our other Let's see our revenue stream over here. It's always weird on the camera. Like, where am I? Um, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so back <laughs> mirror yourself our, <laughs> backwards. Back here is our um, our barn, and so one of the big things that we do here is uh, workshops. And we converted. This was the original. Um, so back when this property was first started, this was all actually an orchard. Um, it was a truck farm for Denver, and so they would grow apples here. And then it, and then they kind of, uh, the kids wanted horses and so they bought horses. So what's really cool is our house was built in the thirties. Um, well, the bottom was built in the twenties and then the top was built in the thirties and the family who originally built it lives very close. And so they've come by a few times and told us all the stories about it and, um, and they gave us like a cookbook and all these pictures of the original owner. So anyway, it was really cool. So we kind of know a lot about the history so the kids wanted horses. So then it was a horse farm. <laughs> and you know how kids tend to dictate what we're going to do. So exactly. um, this, was the horse, <laughs> this was the horse barn for the property. And it actually used to be over on the other side of the property. Um, and it was rotting when we bought the property. The, the foundation it was sinking into the ground. And uh, so we had to decide to whether to tear it down or to move it. And so... Uh, we moved it, which was a really fun experience and we popped it over to the other side. And then my husband and I redid the inside. So we used all reclaimed materials to make a new floor and new windows and, um, a door. And so this is our workshop space and. Oh, you're walking us over there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's been really nice to have a sheltered space because the first year we did workshops, we had this, but it was still like a dirt floor and it had, it mm-hmm. still kind of smelled like manure. <laughs> I was like, it wasn't quite what <laughs> a little it unfinished. <laughs> a little now unfinished. It looks like it's, now it looks like it's ready for a magazine photo shoot. Jeez, Brianna, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's been a big, it was a big project, but it's great. So now we have a wonderful space. <gasps> oh, and wow. it's oh, very sweet. We do um, wreath workshops in the winter and we get to turn on our little f- our fireplace and mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's a collection of things I've collected over the years. So lots of antiques and an antique sink and this table was made out of wood that we found um, that was actually dividers for the stalls in this barn. And so oh, everything's reclaimed. Yeah. It's all reused. Yeah. It's very, you know, we tried to keep it, you know, not having to buy anything. So yeah, it's been really sli- fun. Those, so yeah, the those sliders. slider doors are great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are all reclaimed too. These are made for us by a guy on Etsy. So that's kind of our big, you know, I, I love doing workshops because I love having people to the farm and talking to them and teaching them. And we do kids workshops too, which are always really, really fun. Um, but yeah, you know, well, it's, it's how- again, if you're not that kind of person who wants people on your farm, not everybody wants people on their farm. <laughs> sure. So for yeah. those people, maybe workshops. 
don't make as much sense. No, I think it's, it's, you're using, you're just playing to your strengths and you obviously are an educator. Um, I can tell by just watching your Instagram feed, you're always showing, sharing really informative, just like not necessarily long, but really like specific videos about what you're doing. And so I can see it's just a natural for you to host people. And how many um, students can you uh, accommodate in in the studio? So I try to keep it small, um, A, because it's just not that big. But if we get weather, you know, I want to be able to Mm -hmm. keep everyone undercover. But uh, usually we do about 12. And okay. we'll go up to 16 if sometimes I'll add spots last minute if the weather's going to be nice. And then we'll just move out and we kind of just set up here along the road. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's not, well, not huge. Well, but it's manageable in that you probably only want to do them every other week or something. I mean, I'm, I don't know what your schedule is. I'm looking on your website. It's about that, got, yeah. Yeah, you've got several that um, are like have sold out on them, it would, which means you probably haven't yeah. scheduled the next one, right? We sell out. We have. we So we usually sell out. Uh, we announce them in December and we're usually sold out by March. So um, I tell people. Oh, so you, you do the whole come. year. You do the whole year at once. Yep. The only thing we don't put, we haven't put up the wreath classes yet, um, just because I'm not mm-hmm. sure on pricing yet for those because mm-hmm. of every, all mm-hmm. the volatility that's happening and we do have to buy in greens yeah. for the wreath classes. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of waiting to mm-hmm. see like mm-hmm. how much are they going to mm-hmm. be this year? <laughs> right. Well, that's impressive. Um, I love your space and I think it's part of your brand. And I, how do you describe your aesthetic? Um, you know, I would say it's kind of just collected. <laughs> I I, I <laughs> never <fair>. go, <laughs> I kind of don't go into things being like, okay, I'm going to look for this style. I just go, I, t- I try to buy everything secondhand. And so I'll usually go to the thrift store. Uh, we have an architectural salvage place nearby and I'll just kind of go and walk around. Um, but of course, I think I'm probably, you know, in a way, you know, we're all probably a little bit uh, inspired by what we see. And so, yeah, there's yeah. definitely that like modern farmhouse aesthetic, but I do love mm-hmm. as much as I can keeping the wood natural. Um, so like in our, in this space, my husband thought I was crazy, but the, all of these wood, um, joists in here. Yes. I were, love that they're unpainted. <laughs> I love that they're natural. It was, thank you. Thank you. It was so much, work. it was so much work. And my husband was like, you're insane. Because the option was, because the ceiling was plywood. And so the option was to like spray paint everything and these would all have been white. Or for me to go up and I cut out individual insulation panels for all of these gaps. And then I hand sanded all of these beams. And oh my goodness. It was, <laughs> a, I mean, there's a million, there's a million beams in here. Yeah, and that so is a, think, the most I, well, <laughs> that's the most well-supported roof I've ever seen. <laughs> I know for this size of, I don't know why they put so many, but you know, but I, but I, I just love the warmth that wood brings as much as I love the white, you know, of course there's like, this is very big right now, right? Like everything white and light and bright, but I think the warmth of wood and it just that, I think probably because we are so motivated and and inspired by nature here at the farm. um, I like to bring in those little touches of like, this is what the natural state of, of this would be. Um, yeah. I like to pull that yeah. in whenever I can. And, you know, things like even, um, like we were going to take this old fence down and we were going to put up something else. And I was like, no, you know what, let's use this, <laughs> like pull it in and make it. And now these things do become, 
you know, part of the aesthetic that we're not just using T posts, right? It's, this is like very, this used to be, this was here, this was their original garden here and it used to be their fence. And I love pulling in some of that history here. What do you have? What plant is growing on that? I can't quite tell. This is tomato. So we diversified, yeah, we diversified a little bit this year. Um, so this was actually our lavender that we just harvested. That's what's hanging in the barn drying. Um, we have nasturtium here. And then we diversified into some veggies this year just because with the farm stand um, on Saturdays in the market, we really wanted to be able to have a little bit more diversity for people when they're coming to the farm so that if they you know, would normally go to a farmer's market and to grab their tomatoes or their zucchini that they could just pop over here because there's so much, I mean, you know, there's a lot of food instability. There's food that's traveling a lot of miles. And while I love flowers, I also wanted to be able to provide um, good nutritious food for our community. And so the tomatoes, we're doing tomatoes, cucumbers, onions, squash. So just kind of like the basic stuff. I'm not, I'm not like becoming a veggie farmer. That's not really my passion, but I think it's really nice to be able to offer just a few of like the basic stuff. Yeah, it's a nice add-on. So it's tomatoes. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. Love it, love it. So pretty. Well, hey, um, you've talked about some retail channels of selling uh, direct to consumer with the workshops and mm-hmm. the the farm stand. Are you doing any wholesale? Uh, do you work with local florists, or do you just simply need everything you grow for your your own designs? We do both. Um, okay. We do sell to florists and we, we sold to florists, I would say more last year. This year I got a little bit picky with, with florists and, and I don't say that because I don't like florists. I just, um, there are certain florists that we have worked with. You know, there's been all these issues with the supply chain. You know all this. Um, yeah. There's been a lot of demand and what was happening was we would get florists who would come to us and be, you know, just, you know, last minute emergencies and be like, I need this. And it was all very stressful. So what we did this year is we just decided to work with a small group of florists that um, have worked with us many times that have similar uh, goals when it comes to sustainability. So we kind of made a little application form and we said, you know, we want florists who are not using floral foam, florists who are dedicated to not using invasive plants. And so the florists that we have, because we're retail, I can recommend, you know, if someone is like, I need someone for a full service wedding, but they want the same values that we have as a farm, I can recommend those florists that work with us. And I can say, you know, these florists buy from us, they're going to be foam free, they're focused on sustainability. And so it's been a really nice way for me to promote those florists. Um, that That's are wonderful. supporting local flowers. Yeah. And it sounds like they're they're kind of in the program in that they consistently buy from you. So you have a little more predictability and no last minute panics. Or maybe there's a few. Right. Not as many. <laughs> Always a few, right? Yeah. Always a few. Yeah. But but again, a lot a lot of them have a very similar and and this is something that you know came up at the Slow Flower Summit um, that Philippe was talking about is that there are florists now who are starting to tell their brides, you know. I can't get you a peony in November. It's like, it's, I'm not going to do that. And so a lot of those floors that we're working with um, kind of have that same mentality of, you know, what's in season is what we're going to offer you. And if that doesn't work for you, then we're not the florist for you. And so what's great is then they have the flexibility when they come to me to say, okay, what looks good this week? Instead of me like, 
you know, trying to hold echinacea because someone wants it like three weeks after it's in season and, and, and then it doesn't look very good. I can just be like, here's what looks good and what's fresh. And then they can have that, that freedom. So it gives me more, more flexibility as well as the florist. So that's been nice. I was actually thinking about it when I asked you about your aesthetic. I was like, well, you're basically your aesthetic is seasonality. I should have started with that because your you respond you to what, what what's in bloom, and then that becomes whatever beautiful arrangement um, that you designed, either for your your wedding clients or for the retail customers. Um, yes, anyway, so I think speaking- that that that's very smart. Yes, that's exactly what I should have said. <laughs> no, it's, it I should have led up to that. <laughs> so, speaking of the seasonality, what is your full season? When what is your first crop and what is your last crop? Because I know you're in Colorado. I don't know what zone that is, but it's you've got extreme weather. On um, like you said, you've Ugh. just had these rainstorms and hail and all. Yeah, we have extreme weather. Um, we're five A six B, and so mid last frost is usually mid May. First frost usually mid October. And okay. so it's a, it's a decent growing season. Um, but, you know, with climate change, we're all dealing with this uncertainty and, and back and forth and up and down. Um, we are close to the Rockies. I was going to show you the mountains, but I think it's too foggy today. Um, we're close to the Rockies. And what that means is we get weird weather patterns coming over the mountains. And um, so this year we got a huge snowstorm in, we didn't get any snow from March until May. And then mid-May we got I think here we got almost a foot of this super heavy oh wet snow gosh. and oh. it broke so many trees. It smashed our peonies. Um, everything was butted up and it was just, you know, so we get things like that, like everyone deals with. Um, mm-hmm. We get hail here, which is why you'll see that the netting is actually hail net. Um, You're trying to hang on and keep them uh, protected till uh, September, October. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So as things kind of, you know, some rows have the hail net on, some don't. Usually it has to do with height, like mm-hmm. things that this obviously we can't, we just can't protect. Um, but also these wouldn't get damaged that much in a hail event. But the dahlias are covered. Um, all of our poor oregano has gotten destroyed by the, by the rainstorms rain. here. But, oh my but goodness. this does yeah. help a lot. <laughs> oh, it helps with also with the sun because we're so, here in Denver, we're we're 5,000 feet in elevation. So the sun here is really intense. Um, so it helps to have, this gives like a maybe 10% shade. So it just helps the plants, especially as we're transplanting to keep them from scalding. Right. Wow. Well, listen, Brianna, before we wrap up, I'd love to just hear your, your journey story a little bit. Um, you talk on your website about having an MBA and not wanting to work in a cubicle and then returning to farming because it's in your family. But um, I'd love to hear how you got to to this place to start being a flower farmer after many other <sighs> things in your life. Yeah, that's it's a question that I get a lot because I think so many people think that flower farming, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of people who want to flower farm. And I think that's because they just want to have their hands in the, in the soil. And there's people really have been wanting to reconnect to the planet, I think more. Um, so there's been a resurgence. So I get that a lot. So, and I do like to talk about it because I think, um, the journey that we all have is really important. And, um, you know, I like to share this week is actually, this is always a hard week for me because this week, uh, is the birthday of my best friend who passed away five years ago. So five years ago, 
my best friend, she was, uh, we had grown up together. We had babies at the same time. We lived a mile away from each other. So we were uh, best, best friends. And uh, she passed away after a battle with postpartum depression. Um, and she passed away of suicide. And she was mm-hmm. pregnant with her second baby at the time. And it was um, extremely traumatic for me. I mean, I've, I even now, five years later, I still tear up about it. It's and, too um, much. Oh, I'm so sorry. It is. Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't continue doing what I was doing. I just, I, I was horribly depressed. I woke up and I was just like, I just, I didn't want to do anything. And, um, so, you know, in some weird late night, you know, I couldn't sleep. I it was, I would browse, you know, the internet at night. I was on Zillow one night. I was just looking around and like, I don't know why, why I was on Zillow. I don't know. Um, but I found a property and it had two acres and it had this cute little red barn on it. And I was like, something about it was calling me. And so my husband and I went to look at it and bless his heart. He, I think he knew that I was struggling and he was like, whatever you need to do, we will do. And we had just refinished our house. We had redone the basement. It was a block from his work. It was like his dream house (laughs) that we were living in at the time. Um, but I just had too many bad memories there then. Um, I did not like being there. So we came here and we looked at this property. It was covered in weeds. It was thistles chest high. It was invasive plants everywhere. And, um, and it was horrible. It was really a mess, (laughs) but I was like, we have to buy it. And bless my husband's heart that he said, okay. And never, never asked anything else. Um, and so we moved in and we started, I didn't know what to farm. I knew I wanted to farm. Um, I knew I wanted to have my hands in the dirt and and gardening. I think for so many of us was therapeutic Mm -hmm. and I knew I just wanted to do that, but I didn't want to grow corn. I didn't want to do soybeans. So then I started finding about flower farming and, and, um, and I just started falling in love with, with flowers. And that led me to the next step, which was yes, falling in love with flowers, but like falling in love with the land and mm-hmm. what that meant. And what that meant here for us was mm-hmm. dedicating the last four years to ridding the land of invasive plants and mm-hmm. dedicating space to the native plants. And I don't think you know, as, as flower farmers that we can take advantage of what nature has given us. Um, we profit off of that land and, and we really need to give it back in return. And so over the years doing all this, I've learned just so much. And I do try to share that on the Instagram, you know, we started out selling invasive honeysuckle. I had no idea it was invasive. Um, we started out selling all kinds of stuff that now I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> it was, was so wow. bad, but we learn as we go. Um, yeah. Exactly. And now we're converting more and more to native plants. And, and at the, I think now we're 50% perennial and, and 35% native here. And so we're just really pushing toward that goal so that we're using less water, so that we're providing pollinator habitat. And I don't harvest everything. I mean, you we, can, we leave all of our milkweed. We try to leave as much as we can um, for the pollinators. And, and eventually that's all this will be. So I'm trying to put in stuff that Eventually, I will just be able to leave it and it'll grow on its own. It'll be drought tolerant and I <laughs> won't have to do anything with it. That's the eventual goal. Um, but that's been a journey to get to this point. Yeah. Wow. What a healing uh, path that you took and kind of in honor of your friend and your love for yes. her that you're you're yep. bringing life to this place. What was her name? Emily. 
Okay. I love it. I, I love that her, yep. her friendship is honored. It is. And it's funny because it, her birthday's in July and, and every year in July, I swear I don't like plant purple plants on, on, on purpose, but every year in July, all of a sudden everything turns purple and that was her favorite color. And I'm like, I didn't, I swear I didn't plant all this purple stuff. There's <laughs> like Everything's purple all of a sudden. So I think she has oh, a hand in that. <laughs> that's beautiful. And, um, that your husband is a, a prince. What is his name? Dave. He is, okay. yes. He he doesn't farm. He doesn't do any. He he kind of was like, listen, if you want to do this, that's great. But like, I'm not <laughs> going to farm. <laughs> he, <laughs> so, but he, he helps me out a lot with like the irrigation piece of it. And, yeah. And cutting yeah. up tree limbs. And, you know, he's kind of the, the brawn on a lot of things. But yeah, right. he's an involuntary right. farmer. <laughs> That is a very good term. I love it. I used to say I was I was the head gardener and my husband was the undergardener. So that's uh maybe that's something you can borrow. The <laughs> um, that's a Brit. That's a that's a British. That's I stole that from the British. Uh, well, looking, looking ahead, yeah, looking ahead. Um, I, I you did mention that you had done this this uh, marketing coaching course for flower farmers. Can you talk? Are you going to do that again? And how can we help uh, get the word we out might. about that? Yeah, if we do it again, you know, we do it, usually we do that in the winter time, just because that's when it's slow for us and slow for most people. Um, You know, Muddy Acres has a great uh, flower farming business course as well. Mine is just kind of, I I think it was like a two hour and it's all live on Zoom and it's just like, here's what today is a very like crash course, like down and dirty. (laughs) So if we do it again, we'll post it on our, on our website. Um, which is blossomandbranchfarm.com. We are working right now on a video course. It's kind of our big undertaking this year is a book and a video course on regenerative gardening um, and kind of the practices that we use because we don't use fertilizer at all. We don't use, you know, any synthetic additives or anything. And so we want to share that with people. So we've been working on a course on that. So if people want to learn more about that, wow. they can sign up for a newsletter on our website. Yeah, it's been fun so doing that like while a, farming. Will it? Yeah, will it be an an e an ebook kind of companion to the course? They're not sure yet on the book. We're still trying to decide how we're going to go about publishing that, just because you know there's there's a lot of options now with self publishing yep. or going the publishing yep. route, and so yep. yeah, trying That's to exciting. decide how we're going to do that. Yeah, but they will. Yeah, they will kind of go together. I, well, I like what you said about regenerative regenerative gardening because to me that um, means you have a broader audience. You've got the home gardener as well as the small flower farmer, which seems like a nice yeah. sweet spot for you. It is, yeah. We, you know, we started out definitely talking about farming, and then I realized like a lot of the stuff that I don't really what I do. Yes, it's a big scale. I mean, we have you know a lot of flowers, but it's not. I'm not using a tractor. I'm not doing tillage I'm not you know there's a lot of things that I do that really is closer to like what a gardener would do you know so if I would go home to say our home farm and say like oh well you shouldn't till your 250 acres you should broad fork it like they would would feel like "Mm, you can't broad fork that much space but you can broad fork a home garden Yeah. yeah the scale and um so it's been really really fun having gardening classes and telling people like kind of I say it's like a reprogramming of how we've been taught to garden um versus really the way that nature intended us to grow things which it's just it when you start looking at it that way it really it becomes 
A, more therapeutic experience, um, but B, you're able to really appreciate things more. But again, we didn't start out gardening that way. I started out gardening the way everyone else gardens and going to the garden center and saying, you know, my plant is struggling. What do I do? And they buy, they hand you a bottle of something and you put that bottle on, but you're like, what am I really doing here? <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. it's the farming has informed all of that, you know, doing it on this scale has really taught me a lot really quickly about what works and what doesn't. And so teaching that to the home gardener who can really have a big impact, you know, when we're talking about climate and climate change and cutting down on waste and stuff that we're buying and throwing away, um, home gardeners have a huge impact. So it's been really fun getting to bridge those things. I love that you're continually, continually learning. And if you find out that something is maybe not the right practice, you, you, research it and correct it and talk about it, which nobody does. So I, I applaud you for that. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's hard to, to sit there and say like, oh, you know, we should not have sold. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's chocolate lace flour, which, you know, is a very popular one. Um, and we planted it the first year and, and then it was, oh my gosh. And I was like, look at this plant. It's great. And I would like promote it on our classes. And and then it started spreading and spreading and spreading. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> you know? yeah. And then I look it up and yeah, you know, it's on the invasives list in a lot of places. And so, but yeah, being able to say, okay, well, we planted this and we sold it and we probably sold it to a lot of people and, and but we shouldn't have done that. Um, and it's okay. You know, it's okay to have those mistakes as long as when you learn the information that something gets adjusted maybe or, or that you change something and... Now you're making me want to rip my because, <laughs> because it is. I'm so it's sorry. Like, it's like one plant has now beget like 40. It's in my little city lot. So yes, you can pull them out, it does. but they're, they're, to eradicate it will be a, a big job. Well, and you know, I think about it like, because this happened, you know, I, I'm on a city lot too. And so I went over to my neighbor's house and all of a sudden I was like, oh, you have some of this growing now too. And like, oh, and it's on that person's lot over there. And, and you <laughs> right. know, I, for me to, for me to expect that they're going to rip it out because it was my mistake. So I've been like going around and weeding, <laughs> trying to get it all out because then it's just going to spread back here again. And, you know, that's the cycle with invasives, but, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah just, just learning those things, but it is, oh man, it just seeds like crazy. You know, it's, it's just yeah, yeah, it's, everywhere. It's, uh, Second only to Verbena bonariensis in my garden. And I have gravel, so they just love it. Um, they love but I that. I appreciate you mentioning that. And uh, anyway, I have just loved talking with you. And I'm so glad that we could squeeze this in, especially after the weather week you've had. Um, good yes. luck cleaning up after the, the rainstorm. You did post some very scary, scary midnight rainstorm photo, uh, you know, videos on your stories. And I thought, oh, she's not lying. This is bad. Yeah, it was, it was where we got three inches of rain in 45 minutes. And it just, I mean, thankfully we don't, you know, because we're no-till, um, you know, the ground soaks it really well. So we didn't have wash out of the dirt, but you know, the plants are all, are all collapsed and, uh, we had tree, a yeah. lot of tree branches down. So it's, you know, it's Colorado and it's, <laughs> Yeah, it is what it is, but thank well, goodness for him. <laughs> you've got your wild, your uh, livestock that will clean up the, the leaves and maybe the small branches. And hopefully most of those plants will, you know, rebound and um, you'll get through the season. I can't wait to see your moms in the fall. 
Oh, thank you. Yes, they are one of our new favorites. So again, low maintenance is great. And the fall is so, so big for us. It's, you know, July and August are kind of dead times. And then everyone wants to come back to the farm again in the fall. So it's great to have those, those moms then. Well, listen, will you share some photos uh, that I can put on our show notes when we post this to slowflowerspodcast.com? And I'll make sure I share links to how people can subscribe to your newsletter. And if they're not following you on social media, we'll add those. And uh, I hope to come visit someday. Awesome. Deborah. we would love to have you. If you're ever out, you can come stay in our yurt. We've got our little yurt back here in the woods. (laughs) Oh, that's so enticing. (laughs) Love it. Okay. Thank you so much, Brianna. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. much for joining me today. You can visit slowflowerspodcast.com to watch the replay video of our conversation. You can look for episode 570 and there you will see photos that Brianna has shared, including uh, her farm and her flowers. We also will have a link to sign up for her newsletter and all of her social places to follow along. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Longfield Gardens, which provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Check out the full catalog at longfield-gardens.com. Just a reminder, in case you missed my mention a few weeks ago, Slow Flowers has signed on as a partner in the September workshop being produced by two of our members, Becky Feesby and TJ McGrath. It's called the Sustainable Flowers Project. It's a three-day intensive and creative workshop that explores sustainability with some of the biggest leaders in the sustainable floristry community. The location, Jardin de Bouis in Califon, New Jersey. The dates, September 18th through 20th, this fall, 2022. You'll learn from Ingrid Karazi, Tin Can Studios, British designer Shane Connolly of Shane Connolly and Company, past guest of this podcast, flower farmer and social justice activist Amber Tam, as well as Andrea Filipponi and Eric Fleischer, environmental designers and owners of Jardin de Bouy. You'll also learn from Becky and TJ, who, of course, are past guests of this podcast. Together, they have created a special $150 off promo code for Slow Flowers members and friends who sign up. Register. Uh, you can find the link in our show notes at slowflowerspodcast.com for episode 570 and use promo code SF150. I hope you can go. It sounds like it's going to be fantastic. Our final thanks today goes to Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry with the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms large and small, and even to backyard cutting gardens like mine. Find the full catalog of flower seeds and bulbs at johnnysseeds.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. The Slow Flowers Podcast is a member-supported endeavor, downloaded more than 874,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. 
as our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. If you're new to our weekly show or our long-running podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowersociety.com and consider making a donation to sustain Slow Flowers' ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button at slowflowerspodcast.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Show and the Slow Flowers Podcast. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one stem, one base at a time. I'll see you then. Thank you.